an ancient Jewish midrash. So that is a story told by rabbis over time. An ancient Jewish midrash compares the epic of Exodus 14 to a man walking alone with his son in a dark night. Carefully they walked single file to remain on the narrow road. When the man sensed a thief ahead, he moved his son behind him to protect him. When the man sensed a wolf behind them, or if it was in Burlington, a coyote, the man moved his son in front of him. When both a thief and a wolf, or a coyote, appeared at the same time, the man picked up his son and put him on his shoulders to protect him from both threats. Imagine that son, confused at being jostled back and forth, threats all around him, having to trust his parent to keep him safe on the dark, narrow path. Unsettling, disorienting, a bit exhilarating. The long walk to freedom, to, parapha to paraphrase Nelson Mandela, is frequently difficult and almost always confusing. Today's story is about a long and terrifying walk to freedom. It's also a reminder to us today about the world we live in and the life we are invited to lead. Life, it seems, is rarely straightforward. The people of God thought that the impossible had finally happened. They had begun their long walk to freedom. Following Moses, they believed they were finally going to see the land that had been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then they hear a thunderous sound. They look back, and in the distance, they see the dust storm caused by the mighty army of Egyptian charioteers heading straight towards them. Keep in mind that the Israelites were not fighters. They were enslaved. They had no weapons, no formation or strategy, and they were tired from a lifetime of forced labor. They were being held up by only a breath of hope, and that breath had just been knocked out of them at the sight of Pharaoh's army. They were surely about to be obliterated. They cried out to God and they wailed to Moses and man are the Israelites sassy. I just love them. They said, it would have been better for us to grow old in slavery and be buried in Egyptian graves rather than to be slaughtered today in the wilderness. Thanks a lot. Have you ever experienced that feeling? If not, then fine, uh, let me preach to myself for a minute and y'all can eavesdrop. That feeling of knowing you're on a path to freedom. But when the odds seem stacked against you, you start to second guess yourself. Better the devil you know than the one you don't, right? This freedom business actually seems terrifying and dangerous. Maybe it would have been better to grow old in slavery and be buried in Egyptian graves than to be slaughtered defenseless out here in the wilderness. Am I right? 
where are all my risk avoidant folk at? Maybe you have felt that feeling before of second guessing the long walk to freedom. That gut wrenching second guessing. Maybe you're feeling it right now. If you are, let me tell you, you're not alone in it. Now this next part is one of my favorite moments in Exodus. And we only got part of it because that reading was kind of chock-a-block. Uh, but if you go back, I invite you to go back and read all of Exodus 14 because there's this brilliant, hilarious moment. I, it sets the stage for this. I have come to regard God and Moses as co-parents of the Israelites. I've said what I've said, and I won't be taking questions. If it weren't such a harrowing tale, it would actually be quite funny. Seeing the Egyptian army over the crest of the hill behind them, Moses cries out to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. Don't move. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to keep still. Stand firm, Moses boasts with confidence. And watch and see what God will do. But then God jumps in and reverses this wise guidance of Moses and says, Wait, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Do they notice Egypt's coming? Don't just stand there. Get moving. So I can't tell you how much I love this because I remember trying to parent little kids and getting them out the door. I'm sorry, you're in the sanctuary today. I'm, I'm sorry. One parent shouting at them to hurry up and get their shoes on and get in the car and the other one saying, get back here and brush your teeth. Very confusing. God and Moses are co-parents. If you read the book of Exodus through that lens, you're going to see it actually come up over and over again where one says one thing and the other one says the other thing. It's hilarious. Contrary to Moses' directions, God did not, in actual fact, want the people to stand still and watch. Instead, God wanted the people to move, even into an uncertain future. And I'm not sure, unless we are children in the room right now and can remember our parents telling us two different things at the same time, I'm not sure we can entirely appreciate how confusing this experience was for the Israelites. Bless you. It's my job. Oh, and there's this other little plot detail that we might have glossed over. Throughout their escape from Egypt, God had been manifesting God's self as two mighty pillars, um, sort of like this, if it was narrower. A mighty pillar of cloud by day, kind of blocks out the sun a bit, keeps them cool, and a mighty pillar of fire by night, keeps them kind of warm. Either way, day or night, God went ahead of them and led the way, which was all well and good, when they were uh, feeling that Egypt was far behind them. But then when the army started chasing them, 
they came up against a dead end, and the pillar moved. They have an army behind them. They have a watery grave ahead of them. And the pillar of cloud, it says in verse 9, moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the people of God. Remember that midrash I started with a few minutes ago? And the journey in the dark of night and the father moving the boy in front or behind to shield him from danger? Well, the pillar that they had been following moved. It moved behind them to protect them from the army. But what about the water now? What about the Red Sea? Only a miracle would be enough now. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and said, Did someone say miracle? The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right or your left. On your left, your right. To either side, the walls of watery death. Behind them, the pillar of cloud and fire that they had counted on to lead them. And in front of them, only uncertainty and their own shadows. And then someone, we don't know who, someone had to take the first step. Can you imagine taking that first step? Can you imagine the panic buzzing in your ears, the smell of the sea and sweat and fear crushing in on you, the sounds of an army behind you? Can you imagine taking that first step on the damp sea floor? Well, you did. Everyone in the crowd of God's people did that night in fear and trembling. We walked through that watery grave all the way through to freedom. The adrenaline would have been palpable. Then in the darkest hours of the night, the pillar of cloud and fire pulled up and stopped separating the Egyptians and the Israelites. So Pharaoh's army, it plunged in after them. As the Israelites scrambled to get those in the back of the pack up the banks of the sea onto the dry land on the other side, the army crushed in behind them. They could see them and hear them, smell them. God commanded Moses to stretch out his hand over the sea again, and it closed over top of the army. That's a sermon for another time. Drowning the Egyptians. The Israelites were finally free which sounds like a happy ending. But man, that middle part is real scary and confusing. Which I think is a solace, actually, and that's where I want to land. Because life, it seems, is rarely a straightforward path. While perhaps we can't personally relate to being brought out of four centuries of slavery, we can relate to that feeling of not being sure what the next step ought to be. I mean, just on a collective level, right? Look at the last two and a half years. Stop, go. Stop, 
go. Mandates brought down, then mandates lifted, only to be brought down again. Here at Knox, the ministry team retrained itself to only plan in two-week chunks. Anything beyond that was impossible to predict. Sometimes even two weeks was too much to imagine. In my personal life, there were times where I couldn't plan past a single 24-hour period. Sometimes I still find myself repeating the mantra, just make it through the next hour. Just make it through the next 15 minutes. Have you ever felt that way? I remember kids gearing up to go back to school after one of the lockdowns earlier this year, only to have those hopes dashed when we got hit with back-to-back snowstorms, which caused school closure. Stay still or move, which is it? Is God behind me? Is God in front of me? Is God beside me? Most days, I wish God would just throw me over his shoulder like a sack of potatoes just to get me to wherever I need to be, like a parent dragging a toddler through the grocery store. Looking at you, Chelsea and Brett. Right? Right? You know what I'm talking about. The story of Exodus is loud and scary and bursting with hope. Freedoms and armies and walls of water, confusing, sometimes mixed messages. Be still, no hurry up. Who has the map? Nobody. There isn't one. Because as much as the harrowing tale of Exodus is one of salvation, of rescue, and freedom, and miracle, as much as it's about all of that, I actually think at its very, very, very core, it's a story of trust. Did you hear me, church? This is a story of trust. One that we need to learn and relearn every single day. Do we, do we stand still? Do we stop our frenetic moving and micromanaging and panicking and overfunctioning so we can wait and see how God makes things out to be? Be still and know that God is God? Or do we get moving? Do we keep up the momentum? Do we push through? But towards who knows what? Then what happens when the goalposts move or the scaffolding goes in? Like the pillar of cloud or fire, suddenly the thing that we were following moves behind us. Where'd it go? Exodus 14 is an epic tale of trust in the face of adversity, trial, fear, and insecurity. And if that's not a message for us today, I don't know what is. Trusting the God who keeps God's promises. Trusting the God who saves. Trusting even when God moves from behind us to in front of us, or even throws us on his divine shoulders like a parent walking us through the dark night on a narrow road. Trusting enough to put one foot on the path, still damp from the sea that's rushing up on either sides of us. Trusting enough to take a second step, even though we can't see the dry land yet on the other side. It's terrifying, I know. 
I feel that way a lot too. In fact, I think Moses felt that way a lot when he was leading the people of God. I take solace in that as a mother and as a minister, which is why in moments like this, like today, like being called to the table to receive Holy Communion in the midst of a swirling world and the swirling mess inside my brain to stop, to be fed, to be nourished in spirit and reminded that we are cared for and we are loved and we are not alone. It's why these moments mean so much to us as individuals and as a community. A recentering, a grounding in God, the God who keeps God's promises, who will be with us in it all and through it all. Exodus is a very, very present story about trusting God. So may we all find solace in that today. Enough for today. Let's just get through today. Tomorrow is still in God's hands anyway. To God be all the glory. Amen.